Sean, the property tax accountant. Welcome back to the Property Nomads podcast. Uh, for those of you that are listening to it already, go and check out episode 232. Uh, that is the six top tax tips. Uh, Sean goes in depth on, on a number of different things to do with um, well, tax basically. So well worth a listen to. Uh, for those that have already listened to that, uh, Sean, the property tax accountant is back. Uh, but today's a lot more conversational. We are going to be uh, chatting about the uh, eight tips for remote property investing. As mentioned last time, Sean splits his time between a multitude of locations. Now, for those of you that know myself, uh, with partner being Mexican, in due course, I will be splitting my time uh, around the world as well. But that doesn't mean that you're not able to do property investing. Absolutely not. Uh, we're here to dispel a few things in this episode, so it's going to be a little more a lot more conversational. Uh, all of that being said, uh, Sean, welcome back to the Property Nomads podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's great to be back. Uh, we've been speaking off air and we sort of worked out eight tips and we can both draw on our experiences, which is the whole point of this episode. So do not go into this with a mindset of, well, if I don't live in my investment area, you know, I can't do property. Absolute nonsense. Uh, BS, you can. There is always a way in which to get something done. So, Sean, we started off, uh, we'll start off with number one. That seems the most logical place to start. Choose the right strategy. How, how is that going to help remote property investing? Well, I mean, that's, yeah, let's get started. So these are obviously all personal opinions now and, and, and really from my own um, experience um, might not be right for everybody else. But, but for number one for me is, is, is really choose the right strategy for your individual circumstances. So... You know, how do you choose the right strategy? So I would be asking myself, um, so how much time can I spend in, in the local area? So where you actually invest in that property, mm-hmm. um, you know, are you going to be there for you know, purchases and, and sales? Um, how much time abroad are you going to be um, and to manage day-to-day issues, uh, for example? So are you just going to be away for a few months? Great, probably not an issue, but if you're away for you know nine, ten months of the year, obviously it can be very different. Uh, what's taking you abroad? Um, how much time are you going to have available? And um, will you be able to, for example, make the time differences work? Um, so let, let's take the east coast of the US as an example. The time difference is only five hours. That's probably doable to stay in contact with with people back at home. But if you're in Australia, do you want to be getting up in the middle of the night on a regular basis to be able to speak to all of your key contacts in the UK? I, I suspect the answer is probably no. Um, and, and then another one is, 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 you know, in terms of yourself, are you willing and able to be able to hand over the reins to others? Do you have that trust um, in those people to be able to do that? And, and do you have the budget to support it? So that, that would be what I would be asking myself before I even thought about property strategies um, entirely. What are your thoughts on that, Rob? Yeah, completely agree. And then this is the sort of the premise of this of this list, isn't it? Is we agree on all of it. So I will be saying that I agree quite a lot. In, in terms of choosing the right property strategy, yes, it's paramount. What are you getting into property for? Is it to had the cash flow is it to see your property prices increase obviously inflation is going to help do that anyway over a long long period of time but for myself 
and my partner's Mexican. Uh, I like Mexico. Uh, she quite likes the UK. So, uh, you know, so I don't want to stay here for the rest of my life. I want to be sort of moving around. Time difference is very important uh, for, for example, uh, you know, the, the Yucatan. I think it's six hours most of the time. So again, manageable, not an issue if I got to get up a little bit earlier because you're then catching people at about lunchtime or just after. But for us, uh, Aaron and myself, when we cracked on with property, it was we wanted to create that lifestyle. Not, you know, we're, we're I say we're, we're traveling people, you know, we're not after the opulence as such. You know, to have the time to be able to do things is important. To have the choice to be able to do something is very important. So for us, it's, you know, going on these sort of wacky adventures and uh, attending sporting events. You know, we'll probably end up at the World Cup uh, in Qatar uh, at the end of the year. Maybe the uh, Rugby World Cup in France, although admittedly that's not too far to go. You know, 2023, uh, maybe go and watch some test cricket in, in the West Indies. All, all random bits and pieces like that. So for us, it was about cash flow. Can, can we get the cash flow? Uh, are we happy to put time in to get the systems and whatnot set up properly? And then if we've got the right people in place, et cetera, which, you know, we'll touch upon in, in later tips, you know, that, that's what it is for us. So, yeah, you know, the right strategy is, is fundamental. Absolutely. Yeah, completely, completely agree. So if I then think out, think about just certain strategies, certainly not all. I mean, if I think about buy to let, you know, if you can get high quality, long term tenants in for me, that's the best that, that it re- really is. If I then think, you know, to some more complex strategies, if you will, is is things like HMOs. Yeah, I, I wouldn't touch this personally, but others certainly would. And um, obviously, a lot of people go into HMOs because of the uh, the higher returns, uh, uh-huh. generally speaking. But often those returns are because those investors are actually then managing those properties themselves. And HMOs, you know, just by their very nature, are very labor intensive. So if you're then fully outsourcing that management service because you're simply not in the country, then that's going to erode those those great margins and, and make may make it more trouble than it's worth and perhaps lower returns than say just a standard buy to let. Um, but you know, each individual circumstances are different. Yes, similarly, if we think about serviced accommodation and Airbnbs, um, you know, again, lots of people do that. It, it may well work. It can be a completely hands-off investment if you've got a great management company. Uh-huh. Um, if if you've got, you know, they're perhaps managing the cleaning team as as well, uh, and it's you know, it could be very very profitable, particularly if you've got you know, great occupancy rates, uh, for example. But again, a lot of people perhaps may get into this, you know, through rent to service accommodation, and the chances are they're probably going to be doing a lot of that work. Um, and looking after those properties themselves. So, you know, clearly that's not going to work if, you, if you're abroad a lot, unless perhaps, um, let's say you're managing a property or properties that are very busy in the UK in the summer, but then you can get away in the winter, perhaps when those properties, you know, are, are effectively vacant. So, you know, there's certainly plenty of options there. And then if I think about BRR or then even moving on to, to flips, is I mean for me this would be the most challenging. I mean I, I know that there's various people that do flips from 200 miles away, and you know they've got a great team and can periodically, you know, they're normally in the south and they can pop up north to, 
to check on properties and you know, might do video calls to check on the status of work and assessing the quality and things like that. But again, if, if you're out of the country for a significant portion of the time, then it, it's definitely going to be challenging, but it's, it's doable. I mean, you could get into a lovely situation whereby perhaps you spend the summer in the UK doing flips and then you disappear for those, those cold, miserable winter months, maybe. Too true. And just to highlight what you said at the start of the episode, which is paramount, these are based on you know, our opinions. Nothing is impossible. Uh, you know, absolutely nothing is impossible here. Where there's a will, there's a way. But we'll go back to the main point, you know, choose the right strategy. So what are you, what are you in it for? What's your lifestyle design? What are you thinking? Uh, and work from there. You mentioned on it briefly there, Sean, moving on to point number two, use the budget. Uh, from your experiences, why is that an important tip for remote property investing? I would say because the expenses are likely to be higher. And, uh-huh. and, and there's, there's several reasons for this. You know, the most obvious one is the fact that you're going to be outsourcing certain services. So whether uh-huh. you're using a fully outsourced letting agent um, or, um, you know, you, you, there's work that you could perhaps, you know, do yourself, particularly if you're pretty handy around the, you know, the place, you know, repairs and maintenance, you're not going to have to pay tradespeople for and particularly if you are, you know, a tradesperson by trade anyway, then then there's some, you know, less obvious things. So if you're out of the country for a significant portion of the year, you may become non-resident for tax purposes. If you're then non-resident for tax purposes, well, guess what? The government have fairly recently introduced a further surcharge on stamp duty. So uh-huh. not only are you going to be paying the, the 3% for additional properties, for second properties and more, but then there's an additional 2% for non-residents, which, uh, you know, suddenly start, you know, those, those stamp duty bills suddenly start mounting up. Um, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll pause there just in case you wanted to make a comment, but I do have a, an, another one tax related, which is quite comical actually, but, but let, let's not move on too fast. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll, we'll definitely touch on that. I was just thinking, um, so, just, just for personal circumstance. So uh, hypothetically, uh, let's just say I go and stay for two years in Mexico, but hypothetically, but my business partner is UK resident. That's not going to change. Business is based in the UK. Would that surcharge still apply if one of the directors was a non-domicile? Quite, quite possibly. Um, right. I, I would need to look into the exact rules for that. But what what... What uh, the revenue does do is effectively looks through those companies and looks right. to the ultimate beneficial owners. I, I suspect if if you were non tax resident that, that you may well be. So it's you know it's no different to say I don't know. Let's say a hus- husband and wife team that buys a second property. One of them may never have owned properties before, but the other one has done, and, and that would trigger the three percent. So it probably would, but don't hold me to that. Fair play. Uh, and in terms of uh, using the budget, as I've written about in, in various books, and Aaron will say the same thing as well, what we like to do is put 10% of the gross rental income uh, per property or for the whole portfolio, which both the same. Uh, we'll normally put that into a, a savings account or what we call our MO account, uh, monthly operating expenses account. That way, if something pops up, as it inevitably will do in property, 
that way you're not uh, you're not fretting about it you're not trying to run around trying to scramble some cash together you've got it in your account you've already budgeted for it you've allocated those funds rainy day funds call it what you will um that being said uh, yeah, this this story you were talking about, um, Sean, this antidote. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I've probably built it up too much now. So, so non-tax residents, this is an interesting one. So if, if you are um, renting out a property and you're a non-tax resident, you have to file form NRL1 with HMRC. And so that, that says to HMRC is, hey, I'm abroad, but I'm renting out a, a property. I'm, I'm in a receipt of rental income. You need to do that for every property. Um, and if you don't file that form, then what it means is is that um, whoever whoever you're receiving the rent from has to withhold twenty percent of that rent. So that works really. I can I can see your face already. I know where your mind's going now. Is that works fine if if say for example you're using a letting agent that's collecting the rent on your behalf. And so, you know, the, the tenant would pay the letting agent £1,000 and then the letting agent would, would, would then withhold £200, 20% as tax and then pay that on to HMRC so you'd receive the balance. Now, the question then becomes is, well, what if you're not using a letting agent and you're just receiving the rent directly from your tenant? Well, the way in which the rules are put together is, is that the tenant would have to withhold that 20% and then pay that across to HMRC each month. <laughs> I've never, ever come across that. And, and, and I'm yet to hear of that actually working in, in practice. I can't imagine any tenant moving into a property saying, oh, right, well, you, so you haven't given me an NRL1, therefore I'm going to withhold some of the rent and, and, and pay that to HMRC. <laughs> If, if anyone's listening and that's ever, ever happened to you, let us know, because that is priceless, <laughs> if, if that's the case. <laughs> Talk, talking of uh, Mo accounts and putting a reserve aside, that moves on quite nicely to point number three, dealing with funding challenges. Now, are we looking at this from um, a mortgage point of view, or did you have something else in mind when you thought of this particular tip? Yeah, uh, very much uh, a mortgage. So again, I'm putting my non-resident um, tax, uh, sorry, non-tax resident um, hat on here. So if you become non-resident, then you're effectively treated as an expatriate, an expat, and lenders typically will will see those individuals as higher risk. So the reason for that is is that they recognise that it's going to be much more difficult to pursue those individuals if the debt goes unpaid. They're also very, very worried about money laundering. So particularly for those, maybe the, the, the smaller lenders or, or those with, you know, very automated systems, you know, it's going to be one of those computer says no moments, you know, you, the, the mortgage lender is, is there won't, there'll be fewer lenders in the market, simple as that. And then because it then means that those lenders that remain in the market, they have to jump through many more hoops. So for example, they may, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to somehow validate your um, your income, for example. Um, if you work for a global company, then that's easier because they can go down to the, the local office and, and correspond that way. Um, but if you're working for a local company in you know, Singapore, wherever it might be, Mexico in your case, it can be a lot more difficult. But the fact that they're having to jump through so many more hopes, oops, they're going to want to 
be compensated for that extra time and energy. So again, higher rates, the fewer mortgages, less competitive because the market's smaller uh, and, and therefore um, higher rates as well because of the risk. So again, that's, that's something to work through. What's my tip here? And I said this on the prior episode, speak to your tr- team of trusted advisors, speak to your mortgage lender straight away. You're thinking about going abroad or if you're thinking about spending more time abroad, talk to the broker. Yeah, and then this is something I've started doing because, uh, again, it comes down to what you echoed in the prior episode and, and here already is, you know, number one, being honest, uh, but number two, planning ahead. And it is, very, it is one of those very practical things. You know, we've had not to dive into it uh, too much, but a lot of uh, practical, useful advice has come back from initial conversations about how to potentially, and, and perfectly legally, I will point out, uh, be out of the country for quite a significant amount of time, but also then have the necessary things in place uh, in order to possibly offset that. Now, those things are changing all the time, so I'm not going to sort of sit here and dive into that. Uh, maybe when it happens, I'll do an episode, but that's maybe a few years down the line. But there are certain things you can do um, that mean that you're out of the country for a period of time and you're still treated as a, a UK tax resident. But you know, by Dubai, dealing with funding challenges, yeah, very poignant. Again, not impossible to get funding if you're, I don't know, for example, a South African and you're looking to invest in the UK, entirely plausible. But as you've quite rightly said, there might be a few challenges here, but also go back to point number two, factor it into your budget as well. Uh, Number four, the importance of surveys and snagging. I think snagging is well it's pretty much like ron seal does exactly what it says in the tin you must have a look at your snagging if if some work's been done get get a little thing sorted asap but in terms of surveys why in your opinion is getting the various surveys important if you're looking to invest remotely so for me, these are worth their weight in gold. So if if I'm purchasing a property from abroad, you know it might be the case that I've only looked at it on right move. So I'm not visited it myself. I'm an accountant, not a um, you know a construction engineer or anything like that. Uh, even if I did look at it myself. Um, might have had friends or family members view the property but again you know are they going to catch everything so a survey for me is worth its weight in gold you know you're probably looking at you know probably around about a grand for a three-bed detached house perhaps um where the survey surveyor might spend several hours you know inspecting the property from top to bottom i'm talking about here is is the full comprehensive building survey Uh rather than just the drive-by ones for for mortgage valuations um, I would be recommending one of these surveys, even if you're a cash buyer, um, you know, where, where you're not re- required to have a survey at all. Um, for me, you know, I get the, a really detailed survey report back with lots of photographs and dis- descriptions of all the potential risks and where, you know, the house might be wearing out. So what that allows me to do is, n- number one, it allows me to determine whether I'm even going to buy that property or not. I've had an offer accepted, but it's always subject to survey. So if something is significant that's identified, I can either pull out of the sale um, mm-hmm. or, or renegotiate the price because work needs to be done or ask the seller to do to do the work before completion. 
Um, the the other one um, as well, it allows me to plan and again and budget. We've talked about budgets. It allows me to plan and budget for the next five to ten years. So yeah, the, the the roof is fine for now, but we can see that it's going to need to be replaced or whatever it might be. That allows me to do that and gives me that sense of of security. Makes perfect sense. And again, it's worth its weight in gold. It's well worth the investment, especially if you haven't got. Uh, people on the ground straight away or, or not people that you can necessarily sort of trust and rely on straight away if you're looking to get started. I would say from experience that also being uh, a qualified uh, domestic energy assessor, i.e. I do EPCs, uh, that's always a good way to get be a bit nosy. I'm not saying that I'm by far, you know, a building guru, definitely not. But certainly the knowledge I've picked up from that you know, I can certainly apply if I'm if I'm having a browse uh, around a home as well. You know, what's what's the build type? Is it solid brick? Is it cavity? How can you distinguish the difference? Is it timber frame? You know, system build. You know, all of that sort of stuff. Definitely get your surveys. Uh, it could save you a hell of a lot of cash, especially if something pops up like uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Is it subsidence? I get confused between subsidence and subsistence. It's subsidence, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, other one <laughs> relates to, uh, yeah, your, your daily newspaper and, and food. <laughs> ah, yeah, tally-ho. So, yeah, that is me getting a bit confused. <laughs> so, yes, definitely, if you have the ability and the option to get a survey, again, treat it as an investment. Uh, it's well worth its, its weight in gold. Talking of things that are well worth their weight in gold, number five, appoint a great lettings agent. Oh, for me, this is absolutely key. So, I mean, for me, I'm a, a very hands-off investor. So I, I go down the fully managed route as opposed to let only. And finding a good letting agent is, well, number one, it's difficult. But when you find uh -huh. a good one, you know, work, you know, work with them um, because they can help um, enormously. So the, the advice that I was originally uh, given, you know, back in the day, was go with an estate agent that um, is also go with an agent that does lettings only. You know, theoretically, a bit like you know we talked about in the prior episode about you know use a property tax accountant as opposed to a generalist accountant. But you know, the letting agent is yeah, well, that's what their main job is. If if they're doing uh, sales, also then they're not necessarily going to be focused on your property that you're letting as much as perhaps they could because perhaps the margins are lower for them, particularly when property markets are booming as they are at the moment. Um, ultimately, I went with a, a family friend's first-hand recommendation, said, hey, the, these guys are great, you know, give them a call. I, I, I spoke to many, but ultimately I found this one. And then once the letting agent you know, got to know how I... I and, and my wife work uh, together. We understood how they work. The service has just been phenomenal since since day one. I um, cannot emphasize that that enough. And, and we were given the same advice as well when we started. When you're looking for a lettings agent, if you want to be hands off like we like to be as well, it's yeah the same advice. Go with one that just specialises in lettings. And, and not sales and we've gone through a period where we trialed a few and you know we've now got a more concentrated 
amount of lettings agents. The reason for that is we've got three different places where we've got properties, uh, South Yorkshire, Hull. Sorry, I'll makes it sound like I think Hull's in South Yorkshire. My geography is better than that. So <laughs> South Yorkshire, then Hull, uh, also Burnley as well. And especially for the one in South Yorkshire and Burnley, uh, when we were uh, buying, etc., etc., it's one of the first questions we asked is which recommendation would you give for a lettings agent? And, you know, those properties are like clockwork. They're absolutely fantastic. There's nothing wrong if you want to uh, self-manage your portfolio. Nothing wrong with that. However, that tracks away from the episode itself. You know, eight tips for remote property investing. So, Sean, totally with you. You know, number five there, appoint a great lettings agent. Moving on to number six, uh, have a trusted person on the ground in what way do you mean have a trusted person on the ground? What sort of what sort of uh, jobs are you looking for this person to do, and and who should that trusted person be? Um, yes. So, well, it, it could be a good friend, it could be a family member. Um, ideally, you know, they they would have a few property related skills, but I don't think that's essential, particularly if you have a good letting agent. Um, you you can't put. In my case, so I feel that I can't put everything in the hands of the letting agent. There's still times when I need additional assistance, and I particularly need that additional assistance when I'm abroad, but uh, purchasing or selling a property. So, for, for example, um, I use my in-laws, uh, which which are great because we we invest in their local area, and so. Um, what they'll do if we if my wife and i spot a house that we might like to invest in they can go off and do a, a, a viewing you know discount certain properties for us maybe take some videos those types of things uh-huh. um but then when it comes to the exchange of contracts and, and this is this is the tip really is 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 we have set um them up as our powers of attorney so they can now sign contracts on our behalf now, um, it also means that they can access our bank accounts and all sorts if they so wish. So <laughs> trust is is the key word here. We know that they're, they're not going to do anything on, on our behalf. They're not going to instruct a sale or anything like that, empty our bank accounts. But but to have somebody on hand that can do that wet signature is, is brilliant. I'm not quite sure why the legal profession hasn't quite moved to digital or electronic signatures yet, um, as many accounting firms have. But, you know, this helps um, enormously at the time of exchange. And then finally, um, at at completion, they can also be around to do the the key handover. Now, again, your letting agent can do that for you. um, But, you know, you do get that warm and fuzzy feeling knowing that you've got a copy of of the keys as as well and that it's all been done. I I like that. Uh, in, In terms of having a trusted person on the ground, yeah, again, you might, in your case, you found that's the in-laws, you might find that if you're new to an area uh, of investing, you might find that might take uh, a, f- a few years to build up that proper trust so that person knows what you're after, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, on to number seven then, uh, making the most of technology. Now, we've seen a lot of technological advances, uh, certainly in our lifetimes. I mean, here we're gonna be looking at things for example, Skype, Zoom, uh, you know, things like WhatsApp, your social medias and whatnot. It's a lot easier now to 
you know, well, even to be able to just send, you know, a video uh, to one another, one of those via those many channels. I think that's the point of having this point that just because you're physically not in said area, it doesn't mean you're not able to see what's going on. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you, this is the, uh, probably the one thing that I'm actually thankful for um, uh, as a result of the pandemic, uh, which sounds uh, slightly perverse to say, but you know, the likes of things like video technology and whatnot have, have really come on leap, leaps and bounds over the last two years. I mean, the last decade has been absolutely wonderful for connectivity and, and technology, um, particularly with the likes of fintech and and all of those things but huh. you know there's this um technology that you use as an individual and then there's technologies that you use then to collaborate with others and so i think you know for the technology that will when collaborating with others will will come on to when um considering the next tip but if we're just this tip is really just focused on um technology that you use yourself and for this one i recommend using a, a, a proper um app that is or accounting software that is very much designed for property investors oh. so the the one that i like to use um as a landlord is is hammock use hammock.com and uh, it's it's a wonderful app um it really really is it, it does multiple things uh, the, the tagline that they use is um designed by landlords for landlords. And so it, it does both financial um, um, financial management systems, but also general management systems. So just talking about the general ones, if, if you are self-managing, it will provide you with reminders for lease renewals, for gas and, uh -huh. gas and electric safety inspections. It's a place to store your leases. It's a case to store all of your certificates rather than just in you know, ran random folders on your Google or OneDrive account so it's great from that perspective but then the financial perspective is is also wonderful because it connects directly to your bank using on um, using open banking um it can read only access so i would add as well it can't suddenly create payments or anything like that uh -huh. um, um it can track the profitability of each individual uh, property and um, so all you do is 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 when those transactions start coming through you can assign them to each property it then learns using ai it then learns uh, what types of expenses apply to which properties or which category of expenses uh, and so yeah you can see which property is doing better than others that might you know result in you either i don't know increasing rent or, or selling a property perhaps and then um, the other one is is because it's tracking uh, rental payments and, and various other payments it will actually flag um, to the user if either a rent payment is late or has not been received. So I said, I said on the last episode is, is you know, if, if you're, I've seen real cases here where clients would say 10, 20 properties, it's difficult to manage. Um, that's a lot of transactions, a lot of data. And Hammock have actually said, oh, by the way, do you realize that the, the June rent for property, uh, you know, number five on the high street, um, it, it didn't pay, it missed a rent's payment. And, you know, that could have just been through user error on, on both sides in the case of a tenant, but it then allowed the landlord to go and chase that payment and then receive it. They wouldn't have, have ever chased it if it wasn't for that reminder. So oh. it is doing that matching. It's, it's wonderful. And then, you know, you could take that a step further and then get a proper accounting system as well. It does many of those things 
um, from the finance perspective as well, such as you know the likes of QuickBooks Online. I, I, would, I agree. And I will also say that for people thinking, well, you know, I'm not really too good with technology or I don't want to use that app or anything like that. Uh, for um, Aaron and myself, actually, we're, I say we're a bit old school. Uh, we use Xero and, and Excel. Uh, we find that through trial and error of, of different apps and the way that, you know, we like to take care of things, uh, I think what Aaron does, he'll, he'll sit down. Uh, once a week for an hour or so go through various bits of banking and whatnot he'll plot that on the spreadsheet and then our admin man can take care of the rest of that on a couple of other spreadsheets that's what we found works for us of course you know many people you know, the idea of spreadsheet would give them a headache or possibly a migraine and they'd rather using that but even you know excel you know that's something that wasn't around 30 40 50 years ago so it is using technology to its potential we'll go on to the last one uh, then sean uh, which I- I- again is key you touched on it on on the previous episode there something we agree with definitely and it's imperative selecting the right advisors so basically your power team making sure you're selecting the best possible power team that they understand your requirements and what you expect but also what you expect of them so in effect it's a two-way street do you get on are they best suited for you are you best suited for them anything else to add on that yeah absolutely i mean i think when considering advisors i think this boils down to technology trust and an attitude um, Mm. that those advisors and parties can provide you so if i think about technology we've just touched on that and you've mentioned things like zoom and teams facetime whatsapp whatever it might be i have found as a result of the the pandemic not only has that technology improved but also clients actually prefer to use that technology now in many cases rather than meeting in person don't get me wrong it's great to meet in person but we are all busy and you know typically with property investors this isn't the sole and single thing that they do they've, they've typically got a nine to five as, as well that they're you know trying to escape from it in many ways so the last thing they want is to be stuck in traffic um you know rather, rather and to meet somebody in person when you could have that 15 minute video call instead to discuss you know a specific matter and then, um, I mean, we've talked about Hammock and, and also the likes of QuickBooks Online, which is the cloud accounting system. And again, th- th- these are just just great. I won't won't labour the point, but because everything is digital, there's no you know need to be you know using snail mail or meeting in person to be able to hand over boxes or you have know, receipts uh, and bank uh-huh. statements. All of those things is is painful. You can snap uh, pictures of your receipts on your phone. And it will just upload it straight up to the accounting system. It just makes life so much easier. And then moving on again, we touched on this earlier, is the accounting industry has moved on to digital and electronics signatures. So you can get, you know, important letters or contracts signed within seconds. Again, no snail mail. And then, you know, the requirements for this sort of technology are, are are increasing as well. So we have making touch digital that, that's coming down the line in, in a couple of years time. And so all landlords that have income over 10 grand are gonna have to start using some form of um, digital um, system as well. So the likes of QuickBooks Online is already, and Hammock is, is already set up for these things. Um, 
Clients also want port, uh, like online portals to be able to, you know, see their own documents, their accounts, the tax returns. Um, and again, you know, the types of things that, that I use. But but just to conclude on the technology point here is is, is what we're seeing is is this um, shift certainly within the accounting industry um, is is that those accountants or accounting firms that are perhaps coming up to retirement. They're seeing the likes of making tax digital and saying, you know what, I prefer snail mail. I prefer, you know, printing things out. I prefer Excel, whatever it might be. I'm not going to change all my systems because I'm retiring three years time or whatever it might be. I'm calling it a day now. And that's happening at the same time as clients are also changing their demands. I find this topic of technology you know, fascinating. I really, really do. That's probably something we should uh, touch touch upon in, in again a, a future episode in terms of uh, digitalizing property i think that will resonate with a lot of people but just to summarize this particular episode so eight tips for remote property investing number one choose the right strategy so again uh, you know lifestyle design are you going to be flipping self accommodation buy to let you know how does that work what do you need from that Number two, use a budget, which ties in with number three, dealing with funding challenges. So again, if you're an expat uh, or invested from abroad, you might need to uh, account for uh, an increase in cost, uh, for example. Number four, the importance of surveys and snagging. It's important to get surveys done because it could highlight something that you might not be aware of uh, when you're purchasing a property, especially if you're not on the doorstep of said property. Number five, arguably the most important one, if you're not uh, managing property yourself, appoint a great lettings agent. Again, the advice there is ideally use a lettings agent that specializes in lettings only, not one that does sales as well. And I found normally the smaller the lettings agent, the better actually, because there's more, the more tentative. Number six, uh, have a trusted person on the ground. So, Sean, as you've quite rightly said, you've got uh, your in-laws on the ground that have power of attorney to be able to sign title deeds, bits and pieces like that. Also, someone that might be able to do, uh, you know, drive-by inspections. Someone that, yeah, an extra set of hands as and when you need them. Number seven, make use of technology. So, in our, in our case, Excel, Zero, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also with Hammock, QuickBooks, digitalizing your business very important nowadays and finally you know select select the right advisors take time to speak to people your power team's imperative um, at the end of the day i think there's some great information there very practical as well you don't have to invest on your doorstep you can invest miles and miles up the road or as you do Sean, you can invest when you're not even in the country if you're out and about on your travels. Likewise with myself and Aaron as well. You know, we could be out on our travels and the business is still working in the background. Anything, any other business before we uh, shut the episode down? Any other uh, key tips uh, that you think people need to know? I think it's all about trust, uh, you know, if, if and, and your power team, I really, really do. Uh, if they're responsive, you know, they know how you work, you tell them how you want to work. And if they can, you, you're in a brilliant position. 
Fantastic stuff. And for those people that want to connect with Sean, the links are in the show notes. Now go back to episode 232 as well as six top tax tips. Uh, Sean, again, a massive thank you for your time and uh, yeah, look forward to um, more episodes in the future. An absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.